My name's Mason. I'm one of the pastors on staff. It's such a privilege to get to speak to all of you today. I just want to start off saying thank you to a few people. I had some really great conversations this week that really helped me uh, with a sermon that definitely challenged me a little bit. Um, so thank you to, to Amber Gersman, to Nicholas, to, to Roger, you guys all. Um, the sermon is what it is because of uh, the wisdom you guys poured into me this week, so thank you. Also, thank you to Trevor for an encouragement this morning. Um, I was really nervous this morning, um, and he came up, and the first thing he just reminded me, he's like, hey, you're a broken vessel, and it, there's just so much freedom being reminded that I'm not preaching from my own authority or ability to like get all this right, because I am broken and in need of grace, and I don't have this all figured out, and so there's a lot of freedom knowing that I'm not up here because I'm great at living for Jesus in any kind of way. I'm just up here because I'm called and I'm grateful, grateful to be here. So thank you all of you um, who helped me get ready for today. I needed it this week. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so today I want to start off by talking about uh, dynamic duos. I have some favorite uh, dynamic duos that I've witnessed and experienced in my life. Um, I would define dynamic duos as um, two things that are better together than they are apart. Things that are better together than they are apart. I'm going to share with you my top four favorite dynamic duos. Maybe you uh, can make a list during lunch today if this is like really interesting to you. I'm a guy that likes to make like lists of like random things that don't matter. So maybe you are too. Um, but that's what I'm doing this morning. My top four dynamic duos, things that are better together than they are apart. First, you got to start with food. Popcorn and pop, or soda or Coke or whatever you call it. Popcorn and pop. You gotta have those two things together. If you know me, you'll find out that I'm a popcorn fiend. I can eat popcorn anytime. I could be absolutely stuffed after a meal, but if we sit down to watch a movie, there's room for popcorn. But popcorn is like, goes from like a 10 on a scale of 10 to 10 out of 10 to like a 20 if there's a Dr. Pepper cold on ice like right next to it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Sweet and salty, buttery. Come on, so good. You know it. My second favorite dynamic duo is cheeseburgers and fries. It's just not right without the French fries. My mom, sometimes we'd run out of French fries um, when she'd make cheeseburgers and she'd put like chips with them. And I'm like, as much as I love cheeseburgers, it just like made my heart sad. I'm like, it's just not right without the fries. Cheeseburger and fries, dynamic duo. Now, moving away from fruit, one of my favorite dynamic duos are two characters from my favorite TV show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Jake Peralta and Charles Boyle. You can tell from the picture, these guys really get along. Uh, they're, they're partners as detectives. And that show's hilarious, and it is so hilarious because of those two and how they get along. Last but not least, my favorite dynamic duo, two real people that I wish I knew, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. If you know anything about me, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, no bandwagon. I watched them when they went 2-14 and 4-12 and 2-14 and 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 again. They were terrible. And so I know your pain, Vikings fans. Like, it's tough. I'm the lucky one because I got these two. But dynamic duos, these guys are better together. They are amazing. We've, in an interview this year, Kelsey revealed that sometimes they line up at the line of scrimmage and he looks over at Pat and he's like, I'm going to make something up. They don't even like sometimes run the play. He just makes something up and they're so connected at the brain that they make things happen, score touchdowns. They're an incredible dynamic duo. Better together than they are apart. So today I'm going to be talking a lot about 
uh, matters of the Holy Spirit. And I think this analogy of better together than they are apart rings really true when it, in, in certain matters of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about today. But to take kind of a step back and set a little bit of groundwork with the Holy Spirit, I just want to talk about some theology for a moment. So bear with me. Um, so the accepted belief of the church, or really what we would call Christian Orthodox, is that God is three in one. We worship a triune God. This is where we get the doctrine of Trinity from. We understand that God is three eternal persons, or, or centers of consciousness, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three eternal persons in one divine nature. They are co-equal, co-eternal, equally God, and they all have the same nature as God. So the Holy Spirit is one of those three persons, fully God and eternally God. We learn a little bit about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 through 17, where Jesus shares with his disciples I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus, we know, dies on the cross, is resurrected three days later, spends some time with his disciples, and then ascends into heaven. And as he promises in John 14, he sends the Holy Spirit to us as our helper who will be with us and in us. So now as we in this time, as Jesus is now with the Father in heaven at his right hand, now as we interact with God, we interact with God the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us, God's presence in us, speaking to us, moving in power through us. That's all the Holy Spirit who Jesus told us about. And then there's this this kind of confusing thing with the Holy Spirit of the difference between indwelling and infilling. So I want to break that down a little bit too. So when you receive salvation, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, accept him into your heart, make him your Lord and Savior, we have so many phrases for what it means to be saved. Like not what it means, but referring to salvation. But when you receive salvation, the Spirit indwells you. We talk about uh, Jesus coming into your heart. It's The Spirit, the Holy Spirit enters your heart and indwells you when you give your life to Jesus. Today, though, we're going to be talking a lot about what we would call a subsequent event or something that happens after salvation, which is the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where he comes into us and fills us with power full of the Holy Spirit for witnessing to the lost around us. More on that in a moment. In the church, though... What I've observed in churches when, they, when we accept and desire to function in the power and the gifts of the Spirit, there are some things that, that happen, and there's this creation of a, a false dichotomy that I've noticed. If you're a Spirit-filled church that desires the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, what I've seen so often happen is churches like this turn inward, and they're so focused on, on experiencing more of God and His Holy Spirit that they, they cease to look outward. And then you have churches on the other side that are so desiring to engage in mission and see the lost become found and find Jesus that at times they then push away the power of God and are exclusively focused on mission. And we get this from kind of 
observing this in churches and church movements and how this happens, we get this idea that there's this divorce or separation between the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church. And I've, I've seen this in another situation, other situations where I've seen individuals who operate in the power and the gifts of the Spirit. But as they operate in the, ga- uh, the power and gifts of the Spirit, even just who they are as people, even though they operate in the gifts, they are unkind or harsh or judgmental. And we see them functioning gifts of the Spirit. And, and even I, in observing people like this, get this idea. is like, is the power and the, and the work of the Spirit separated from the heart of God? Are they not compatible? And something I love about this series, it's the Spirit and the mission of the church. One of the main emphases of this series is to say not only are they not meant to be separated, but they are meant to work together. The power and the work of the Holy Spirit is purposed for witness. It's purposed to help us engage in God's mission to see the lost found and to redeem the lost and the broken. In the same way, the Spirit and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit is meant to work and be absolutely compatible with the heart of God. They're not separated. They are meant to work together. And today in our passage on Pentecost, on the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts 2, I see these truths made evident. And so today um, I have three points or takeaways from the passage that we just read. Um, Hopefully uh, you and I can get something out of it today. So my first point, my first takeaway from our passage today is that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to witness. You will receive power to witness. Acts 1.8 is kind of our theme verse for this series where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is a promise of Jesus. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to witness. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to share and to live out the hope that we have and the life that we have in Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit being filled and empowered by him is all about. The power and the mission of God are married. It's a perfect relationship, a dynamic duo. They are meant to work together. And we see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Acts 1-8 and Acts 2. I want to read Acts 2-4 where it says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So as Pentecostals, as Charismatics, amongst other denominations, we are known for, and a lot of times the the first thing that comes to mind is tongues or speaking in other languages. That's kind of like our calling card as Pentecostals. Now, this isn't, and Acts 2 isn't the only passage where we read about tongues or Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other languages. We see it throughout the New Testament. And um, I would say probably the preeminent passage on understanding how tongues function in the church is 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to be referencing it quite a bit today, but I'd encourage you to read it after church today. It's a very interesting uh, passage. But in this chapter, Paul defines tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, on two spectrums as public tongues and private tongues. Public tongues are tongues spoken over a group of people uh, during a service or prayer time, and the tongue offered publicly has to be interpreted. 
Now, when there's this tongue and interpretation, we understand this tongue and interpretation to be a message from God speaking to us to build up and encourage the church. Now, something interesting to notice is in Acts 2, as the 120 are are filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other languages, they speak in languages that are known by the the people coming from all around the world to celebrate Pentecost. So they're supernaturally filled with the Spirit and speaking in languages they don't know, but the people hearing those languages know the languages. They're interpreting it in the natural. But in 1 Corinthians 14, we see a slight difference in that we see tongues and people speaking supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, languages that they don't know. But on the other end of this is also a supernatural interpretation. The interpreters don't know the language, but God gives them the interpretation. So it kind of opens our view of what the Holy Spirit can do. It's not only languages that, you know, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and then I speak in Spanish, which I don't know very well, and then someone who speaks Spanish can interpret it. It can function in a greater or wider way than that. We get that from 1 Corinthians 14. Then Paul talks about private tongues or prayer language. There's a lot of names we have for it in church. But in 1 Corinthians 14 too, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So 1 Corinthians sets a precedent for speaking in tongues privately in your own prayer time. Maybe in a larger group situation, you you speak in tongues, but you pray to yourself. And in verse 4, it tells us that it builds up the individual. So, felt it was worth outlining kind of a baseline understanding of tongues and how the Holy Spirit works in that realm And I say all of that to say that tongues aren't the gift. Even if we're known for it by others, tongues aren't the gift of the Spirit. There are so many gifts that the Spirit can fill us with, that he can use us with. And a great passage to look through those is 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, which I will read and you can read along with me where it says, to one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Moving on, back to our passage today. Acts 2, 14, it says... Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. I want to look at that word shouted. In the Greek, the word translated here as shouted is the word apophthangomai, which means to speak boldly. This word is used elsewhere outside of the Bible and Greek literature, and it is used in a way and meant as a God-inspired speech. So not just within Scripture, but outside of Scripture, this word refers to and means God-inspired speech. In Luke, he uses this word three times in Acts, here in 2.14, but also back in 2.4, the passage that we just read, where it says the Holy Spirit gave them this ability to speak in other languages. So in Acts 2.4, as the 120 are speaking in tongues, 
they're that, given that ability, it's God-inspired speech given from the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2.14, we see the same thing happening. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is inspiring tongues in 2.4, and then at 2.14, when, when Peter gives his sermon, he's not moving over into the natural and preaching a sermon that he's prepared. He's actually having inspired speech from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be in another language. The Holy Spirit can give us the words to say in our own tongue. And that's what we see happening in 2.14, filled with boldness from the Holy Spirit and being given the words to say from the Holy Spirit. It's important to remember, though, that the Holy Spirit isn't about, like, he's not making you a puppet. It's not like God takes you over and shuts off your brain, and then you wake up later, and you're like, what did I say? You know, I kind of think of the Hulk in the Avengers. Like, he's like, what did I do? It's not, doesn't work that way. We are in control, and we hear the voice of God or the, the, a sense from God that we're supposed to say something or do something, but we're in control. So while Peter is in control, he is speaking words that the Holy Spirit is giving to him. And this makes it evident from the moment that the Holy Spirit poured out his presence and his power and his giftings on followers of Jesus, from the get-go, we are seeing supernatural works happening which are purposed to witness to the good news about Jesus. From the moment we see a fulfillment of the promise of Acts 1.8, empowered to witness from the very beginning. We cannot divorce the power of the Holy Spirit from its purpose to witness to the lost. They are meant to work together. They're a dynamic duo. So not only was the Holy Spirit for the New Testament church and the disciples and the 120, the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for you and it's for me. The, and being empowered to witness. So hopefully you understand, if you're in this room, you are called today, and it is available to you today to be empowered to witness to the world around you. But that can freak us out. It's like, if I'm empowered, it's like, I, but I'm not Peter. I can't get up and speak in front of a, a bunch of people. I'm not the street corner pe preacher. It freaks me out to think of like looking at a group of strangers and be like, I'm supposed to go tell one of them about Jesus. That kind of stuff is scary. And here's the good news. You don't have to be Peter. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to surround yourself with a bunch of strangers and go find one to tell about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of those things because God has used people in that way. He's poured out his grace and his power and his presence on those moments. It's, there's so many incredible testimonies I've heard. But there, I'm just saying that there's other, there, that, that isn't the only way because we think of that traditional like, oh, when I'm, you know, if I'm supposed to go reach people, I just need to go to the mall and look at all the strangers and find one to talk to. That scares me. And I'm sure there's some of you that that scares too. And not that we shouldn't do something because we're afraid of it. However, I believe that God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit and empower us in our day-to-day -day with the people that we know, the, 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 the relationships that you've built. God desires as much, if even not more, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach the people that we know in our day-to-day. -day. It's not that we need to look for these extraordinary circumstances to experience the supernatural. God wants us to pour out his Holy Spirit in our ordinary moments, in our ordinary day-to-day, -day, in your house, at your job, in your neighborhood. 
God wants you to use you on Monday as much as he wants to use you on Sunday. So take a moment and think about, who do I know that needs Jesus? Where do I know people that need Jesus? Maybe it's at your job, your workplace, your coworkers that you've built relationships with. Maybe it's in your neighborhood, you've built some friendships with neighbors. Maybe students in the room, it's your school. There's no greater mission field that many of us will experience in our life than our school, where we're surrounded by hundreds of people that need the Lord. Maybe it's through your hobby. Maybe you like golfing or art or fishing, and you've met people through that and know people that need Jesus in those spaces. Where do you know them? And if you grew up like me in a little bit of a Christian bubble, God needs to pop your bubble today. If you can count on one hand the number of people you know that don't know Jesus or that you're friends with, we need to expand that number. And I'm preaching to myself, us pastors are the worst. We can get so surrounded by other Christians that we're not really, I think, engaging in call at times to be in the world. Because the Bible calls us to not be of the world, but we are called to be in the world. And when I think about where would Jesus be, who would Jesus be hanging out with, what tables would he be eating in, whose houses would he be going with, if we follow his example, then we need to be surrounding ourselves and loving people that don't know the Lord. So what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day life? What will it look like? What's the experience like? I referenced this a little bit before, but when the Holy Spirit fills you and baptizes you and wants to use you, it's kind of like a voice giving you a word to say or a sense that you can't get over that you're supposed to say or do something. I heard this great story one time of a lady who was at the grocery store and she walked in and saw there was this homeless man next to the door and as she's going into the grocery store, she gets this overwhelming sense that she's supposed to buy that guy like uh, some bananas. She's like, that is so weird. And a lot of times when the Holy Spirit talks to us, it can be obscure. So don't be like, bananas? Shouldn't I get him like a Subway gift card? Bananas. You're supposed to give him bananas. So she walks out and she just says, I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. Hands the guy bananas. And the guy just begins to cry because he loves bananas and has this whole life story about how much he loves bananas and he just feels cared for. And it's so cool to see how this woman got to pray with this guy, build a relationship with him and all the doors that got open because someone was listening to the Holy Spirit. It's that voice, that sense you can't get over that you're supposed to say something or you're supposed to do something. One of our mantras at Life Church, or at least amongst the pastoral staff, is that we wanna be naturally supernatural. A lot of times when we're used by the Holy Spirit or we're like trying to be, you know, used by God, we can just bathe everything we do in like crazy religious language. You meet some stranger and you're like, the Lord told me, and like they might go running. You never know. Like the whole thing though is that the Holy Spirit desires to work in such a way that he draws people to himself. And and I would definitely, I could I'm going to later, but I can definitely make a case that, that especially in 1 Corinthians 14, that the Holy Spirit desires to work in such a way that we can be strategic and say in a moment where God's using us, hey, I feel like I'm just supposed to say this, or hey, I feel like I'm just supposed to do this. And let the power be in the words that God is speaking. Let the power be in the work that God is doing. And just like the homeless man be like, how did you know? Hey, I got this guy named Jesus. You know, like that opens the door. But that's what it looks like to be naturally supernatural. Next point. 
that I see in this passage. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak your language. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak your language. So Acts 2, 7 through 11, they were completely amazed. The crowd says, how can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. We read in 9 through um, 11, all the different places that they come from. And 11, the crowd say, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So remember, Pentecost is one of three major Jewish feasts, holidays, where in the Old Testament, God commands Moses and the people of Israel to come to the primary place of worship those three times of year and worship and celebrate what God is doing. So it's Pentecost, one of the three major uh, feasts, holidays, and Jews from around the world. They don't all live in Israel. They have spread out all over the world. It's called the diaspora. From all over the world, they come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. One of the biblical names for Pentecost was first fruits, because at the time of Pentecost was when they would generally harvest the first of the wheat harvest. And that's, as it's described in um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, like that's the purpose of the feast, the holiday, the the biblically God-intended purpose of this holiday. But just like we do, the, the Jews of the time attached some extra meaning to that holiday. So like we celebrate Christmas, Jesus's birth in December, there's a lot of good evidence out there that Jesus wasn't born in December, and there's nothing wrong with it. But just like we do that, they did this. The Essenes, which is a sect or a denomination of Jews, they came to celebrate at Pentecost as a time to renew their covenant relationship with God, renew their commitment to God. The Pharisees are another sect of Jews. They celebrated the giving of the law. They aligned the Pentecost holiday with like Moses' Sinai experience where God gave the law to Moses. Something really interesting relating to the Pharisees is that the Pharisees of that time also taught that when God gave the law to Moses, all nations of the world heard God's law spoken in their tongue. So when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and God gave Moses the law, at the time the Pharisees taught that the whole world in that moment heard God speaking the law in their language. Was that right? I don't know. But that was what they taught. But what's so interesting to me is that the details of the Pentecost narrative suggest that God not only fulfilled the meaning of that holiday through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, because it's first fruits, that's the biblically intended meaning of the holiday, and the, or, or the harvest time. And we see in the early church, the 3,000 that give their lives today in response to Peter's message, we see the first fruits, the first harvest of the church happen that day on Pentecost. So not only does God fulfill that meaning, But God descends to the meanings that human attributed to it, I think to meet them right where they're at, to speak to their experience and to speak to their beliefs. Even if they weren't perfectly aligned with what God had said, he wanted to speak to them where they were at. So for those who celebrated covenant, God issued a new covenant through Jesus, which all the Jews are hearing about through Peter's message. For those who celebrated the law, God ushers in a new law of the Holy Spirit. For those who believe that every nation heard at Sinai the law of God, we see in Acts 2 every nation hearing the new law of God and God's plan for redeeming the world through Jesus. 
The parallels are unbelievable. And when I read that this week, I was just dumbstruck. I read it and was, got chills. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he speaks our language. He's not, but I don't just mean he speaks our language. It goes deeper than that. And that God meets us right where we're at. And he speaks to our situation. Remember that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has the heart of our loving Father. And the God speaks in ways we understand. A loving Father doesn't speak to his three-year-old like he's a 20-year-old. He gets on his level and he speaks to his three-year-old like a three-year-old so that he understands. When God speaks and the Holy Spirit comes, he reaches to the depths of our heart. He points out and heals our deepest wounds. He speaks and he works to communicate with all that he can. He makes every effort to communicate to us through his Holy Spirit. I love you. I care about you. I desire a relationship with you. I want the best life for you. One of my favorite stories of God using someone, the Holy Spirit using someone with a word of knowledge, a gift of knowledge, like we read about in 1 Corinthians 12. One of my, my, my greatest friends who's a pastor was a youth pastor over this youth group and the Holy Spirit was just working in this worship time. It was so cool. But just kind of like we do with the, the blank index cards, a student comes up to the, my friend who's a youth pastor and says, hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that we're supposed to say over the group that if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Obscure, again. But my, my friend, he goes up and he speaks it over the youth group and he says, is this for anybody? And a young man comes up weeping and he explains that he has this father wound of having this deep desire to to make proud his own father, feeling a lack of love in his childhood, but the way that you knew that his father was proud of him was if his picture was in his wallet. And God gets on this young man's level and he says, I love you, I'm proud of you. I'm speaking to your deepest wound and I want you to know that even though your earthly father has let you down, even though people will let you down, I will never let you down. I love you and I see you right where you're at. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He speaks to us right where we're at. His heart, the heart of the Father, is connected to and ought to be evident when the power of the Holy Spirit moves. He should speak to us the way that the Father speaks to us. I love you, I want you, I forgive you, I redeem you. What does this mean for us? For those of you who are, who are in this place and maybe you don't know where you're at with God or maybe you're exploring your faith, I want you to know that the God of this universe, he loves you. He will never stop loving you. He wants the best life for you. He wants to heal your wounds, redeem your life. And my prayer today is that for those of you in this room, that God would communicate his love to you in the way that only he can. That he would speak to your situation. The scriptures say that God knows us deeper than we know ourselves. And I pray that God would speak to you and his, communicate his love for you with that kind of specificity, knowing only what he can know. Whatever your wallet story is, 
for those of us in the church who have been following Jesus for a while, my, my desire is that we get our priorities straight when it comes to being used by the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, may we desire with all of our hearts, first and foremost, only the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. I, I hunger and thirst for moves like that. I hunger and thirst for the real power and love of God to be communicated through the Holy Spirit. May we have the humility, because like we said earlier, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is subject to man. We are a big part of the process. God leaves us in control. But may we have the humility and the hunger for what only comes from him, for what is really him. May we get out of the way and desire with all of our hearts a genuine word from God, a genuine work from the Holy Spirit. Another priority, God desires that his spirit work to draw outsiders in, not to push them away. Referencing back to 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25, Paul describes to the Corinthians, speaking of tongues and prophecy and interpretation of tongues, he says, and this is uh, maybe actually from another part, but it applies to this. Paul says, I would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue. And speaking of outsiders in the church and the Holy Spirit drawing them in, he says, may we speak in words that they understand. May we speak in a way that they are drawn in. Tongues and certain things can scare them away. May we speak in such a way and be moved by the Holy Spirit in such a way that outsiders are drawn in. That is the heart of God, the way that he desires to work among us. And so may we, as we function in the Holy Spirit, know that God has asked us to be strategic in the way that we work in the Holy Spirit so that outsiders are drawn in. Again, called to be naturally supernatural. Don't let our humanity, our own desire to explain, let God's word speak for itself. Let what God is asking you do speak for itself and see how they respond and the doors that God will open. If we will be humble enough to be used by the Holy Spirit and get out of the way and see what he will do. We also must learn to speak people's language. Some of us have been in the Christian bubble so long that we don't know how to talk about life or our faith in a way that people understand. We have all these terms that we don't realize nobody else knows. It's our own little language that we've learned. Christianese, if you've heard it put that way. But we need to shed the overly religious scales off and learn to be real. Learn to be transparent. Learn to be people that don't put on as those who are perfect, but may we be people who are imperfect, who are in need of grace. May we be authentic as we engage with people who don't know Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is a unbelievably, insanely attractive word and hope. So may we get out of the way in humility and let the Holy Spirit shine and draw people to the love of God, to the hope of God, by being authentic, not fake, humble. Lastly, my last takeaway, he treats everyone the same. When the Holy Spirit comes, he treats everyone the same. Thank you, Nicholas, this one is from you. So he treats everyone the same. In Acts 2, 17 through 18, we see Peter's sermon begin. He says, in the last days, 
God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. This verse emphasizes a theme and a truth that we see throughout scripture, and that theme is inclusivity. Inclusivity. The infilling and the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone, period. The infilling and baptism of the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. It is for men and women, for our sons and our daughters. It is for the young and for the old, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, every nationality, every race. Nothing can disqualify you. God has said, everyone, this gift is for you. The power of the Holy Spirit is for you. But the enemy in working against us, one of his favorite tricks is to get us to start thinking in terms of exclusivity. Who's in and who's out? I remember being a little kid at, at, at kids camp on Holy Spirit night. There was this kid that would come with us to camp every year and he had this rough life and this rough background and, and every year at camp he would get filled with the Holy Spirit and he'd pray for other kids and they'd get filled with the Holy Spirit and I'd be sitting there and be like, what gives God? I'm such a better Christian than this guy. But even at that young age of 10, 11 years old, they've got this exclusivity like, why him and not me? It's for everyone. But not only do we look at others and judge others, but so often we exclude ourselves. We say, oh, I guess it's just not for me. I'm not holy enough. I've made too many mistakes. I can't hear him, so it must not be for me. I've prayed so many unanswered prayers. I guess I'm just not supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm the wrong gender. I'm too old. I'm too young. We exclude ourselves. When the Holy Spirit comes, God treats everyone the same. I love when we think about the 120 in the upper room. It wasn't just for the apostles, the 12 that were with Jesus. It was for all of them, even playing field. Fill with the Holy Spirit. The same is true for us. God treats everyone the same. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what gender you are, how young you are, how many prayers have gone unanswered. Don't say no to God's promised yes to you. God has promised you. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be. The power is for you. Imagine a church and all of its diversity People filled with the Holy Spirit, young and old, disabled, children, the old and the young, every, every gender, every race, race, every nationality, from all socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of God working amongst us to draw people to the heart and the love and the hope we have in Jesus. Worship team, if you'll come. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to witness. He will speak your language, and he treats everyone the same. Today, my prayer is that you realize that the Holy Spirit is for you. He wants to fill you with his power, to use you to point others to his love and to his goodness. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to go into a time of worship. But I, I encourage you during this time, man, God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. 
Maybe you need a refilling today. Maybe you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Maybe this stuff freaks you out and you need to stand back. That's okay. But here's the thing. If you grew up like me, growing up in church camp, every Wednesday night on Holy Spirit night, was the speaker would come and they would have their plan for how to get filled with the Holy Spirit. You got to do this and then you got to do this and here's this thing and it was kind of about like how do you control the situation to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And speaking from my personal testimony, there were years and years that I prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit until I finally was, but it was a struggle. But I was at a conference a few years ago and this pastor got up and spoke about the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke this refreshing word because he identified with my experience. He was telling me what I just told you. And then he said, as I look at scripture, receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not about tricks. It's not about a formula. It's as simple as receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just have to ask. All you gotta do is ask. No tricks. No, do this, do that. You just got to ask, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? God, I desire to be used by you. I want the world to know your love. God, may you work through me so the people around me can know that you are real and you are good and you are worth it. Fill me, Holy Spirit. That's it. And then wait. See what God does and you'll know in your heart. If you'll stand with me as we go into this time of worship and I'll, I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this group of people here today. I thank you for those of us joining online. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our situation. God, communicate your love to us in only the way that you can. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be a church not just marked by the power of your presence, but God, may we be marked by your heart being reflected among us as you work among us. May you communicate your love, draw people in to the hope and the life that is found only in you. God, I pray that you would speak life to those who have felt excluded, who have felt like they're on the outside looking in, who have felt like this thing called the filling of the Holy Spirit is only for the elite. Lord Jesus, tear down that wall. Lord, I pray that you would break those walls down in our own judgmental minds, judging others and those of us that are judging ourselves. May we let those things down and be filled with your Holy Spirit, changed and transformed by your love. Work in us, Lord Jesus. May we be the church that you've called us to be. In humility, God, we repent of the ways that we've twisted your word and your love into performance, into rules, into legalism. God, may we be a community of grace, humble, authentic, and transparent. Holy Spirit, would you show up in a genuine way. All we want is you. We won't settle for anything less. May we get out of the way and may you get in the way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.